the next episode of today's lesson a nick cave podcast uh i am andrew bradshaw and i am sean baker uh and we are here to talk with you to you at you and at you at you about the first nick cave and the bad seeds album from her to eternity i guess before we get into the specifics uh i just want to of ask you you know before this re-listen where does this album sort of rank for you yeah it's a it's a weird one and we'll get we'll get into this as we talk through the songs it's going to become very apparent as we talk through and if if you know the listeners have seen anything else that cave has put out um it's very unique in 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 the way it's structured in its content um in its tone and that's always kind of placed it aside from everything else it's the first album and it's always held a special place but i had to be in a mood really because it's so grim and it's it's more raw i think than anything else he's done um and so before this it almost ranked outside of a ranking that's it sounds kind of stupid mm. as I say it, but uh, yeah, I, I couldn't place it before these re-listens. I can definitely place it now, though. Um, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think we're we're at a similar place with it. I think um, for me, it's more important than it is like a go-to listen yeah. for me. Like it's yep. it, you know, it helped me, you know, in a big way get into his music. It has a couple of. I would say they're more important songs, but as a whole, I think with this album, some of the magic is in the atmosphere as opposed to the actual music itself. The lyrics are strong, but I'm excited to to get back into it. Uh, it's been a while since I've listened to this one uh, all the way through. Yeah, no, it's um, it's atmospheric. It's it's a very mood album, and it it really is a bridge between previous material and future material you'll see a lot of blues elements you'll see a lot of what shows up you know in the next especially the next few albums after this you know peeking through in a lot of these but it's it's an interesting reflection on a lot of very heady topics and done so in a way that's very confrontational very in your face um that said it's always shocked me how polished it is and how full it is and how realized it is for a first album for a band um, that while it has elements of earlier stuff like Birthday Party, it still is distinctly, I feel, Bad Seeds. It, it fits into the discography very well in the place that it um, in the place that it is, which has always kind of blown my mind. The only other, well, not the only other, but one of the things that immediately springs to mind, especially in the mood and tone, is you know I'm I'm a huge System of a Down fan, and 
coming to their first album later on felt the very felt the same way in that it's so different from the later stuff you know it's 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 dark it's it's more raw it's it's all this um stuff that i feel about from her to eternity um and it took a while for it to really grow on me but once it did like with this realist and i i gotta say i i know exactly where it falls now <laughs> for yeah. me it, it it is polished and raw at the same time yep. uh, very very interesting dynamic and and a lot like that that uh first system of a down uh album which we both hold very dear um sean is this your favorite nick cave album absolutely not unequivocally uh same here uh (laughs) i ask you that because we we each have a favorite album um and we will we will probably mention that when we get to it we will no telling before that though no spoilers exactly it's a secret uh so every time we get to a new album i'm gonna ask you if this is your favorite album even if i know it's not because i know the answer i think even when we get to it i'm gonna say no until the last album and then reveal oh that's good i know watch that's out a fake out man no telling Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> mm. so this ah, could be my favorite shivers. album given that um, so this might be your favorite album. It could be. It's not though. So it's it isn't. It is not. It, it isn't. I, I'll just say that right now. It isn't. But I wouldn't tell you if it was. Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, I really like your point about it. It also showing a lot of flashes um, to other stuff. I you know without getting too into it right now. I think you know the first song Avalanche is definitely him covering an artist he loves. Um, well of misery is his first kind of foray into blues Mm. um which we'd see a lot later on second album yeah yeah just lots of lots of little hints into the subject matter while at the same time being yeah lyrical hints this this album sorry lyrical hints and musical hints you'll see a lot of yes exactly um repeated lyrics repeated themes oh it's just i don't know more i've listened to it this time around the more i've seen that yeah, definitely. I, I hesitate to say it, but this this is definitely one of the, if not the, like outlier among all of his stuff to me. Yeah. Uh, maybe exclu- excluding some some more recent stuff. Um. So yeah, very self assured debut. Um. So we're gonna be we're gonna be spending a lot of facts on this show. You know, it's not gonna be very heavy into the background and the the boring minutia of. Um, detail but we will be throwing out you know who's who's recording who's in the band at the time a lot of facts like that andrew where are we getting these getting these facts from well sean we're getting a lot of them from the internet uh 99 from the internet uh we we don't own all of the physical editions of every album um so we don't have you know printed lyrics and and credits for everything um so we're we're getting a lot of this from uh allmusic.com um which is a pretty reliable source um in most cases um i found wikipedia strangely enough to be more specific um for this album although you know that's a mixed bag it could be very specific and very wrong um i have been on there i i have been on there and i bet you didn't know that you played on this album You've been you've been editing the the article as I look through it. <laughs> you might have noticed it looks like you're being gaslit, but yes, it's changing as you read it. 
Got me again. Um, so all that is to say, if you have any corrections that um, aren't gas gaslighting <laughs> me specifically, um, please, you know, kindly and politely let us know if something is wrong and you know that to be true engage with us on twitter send us an email whatever uh however you want to get in touch with us and let us know and we'll we'll uh, address that on the air um we're also using the documentaries uh do you love me like i love you which came with the remastered cd versions from 10-ish years ago um and those are a really good resource because you hear the band themselves talking about certain uh, events like stories about recording Blix that has some great anecdotes about recording. Um, he has a very interesting uh, way of working uh, and is quite a character. But uh, yeah, it's 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 really fun. You know, I don't know that it's hard-hitting lyrical or musical analysis, but uh, you can go, you know, kind of find out about the genesis of different albums and, and in some cases what they, they think about uh, what they've made. I will say also that Blixa has some interesting cooking videos. Oh yeah. Oh, I would very much recommend checking. What is those he making out. in that? It's a squid ink risotto. I believe. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen that video, uh, of Blixa cooking something that looks like it crawled out <laughs> of the mouth of hell, uh, definitely recommend that. Looking like it crawled out of the mouth of hell, and him speaking like Virgil. <laughs> it's uh what a what a what a time it's worth your time very much very much recommended to check that out and maybe at some point we'll compile some sort of youtube playlist of all the yeah fucked up shit that <laughs> we we found <laughs> uh adjacent to this band um, but that that video is incredible it's so bizarre um and from people adjacent to the band that were actually there so you know, we're going to kind of use that, uh, you know, straight from the horse's mouth stuff to. There are horses in those documentaries? <laughs> there are lots of horses. <laughs> it was pretty weird. There, it was 50-50 human to horse ratio, which seems kind of counter to the, the band's makeup. I totally missed that. Oh. It's weird. Like, yeah. They don't talk a lot, so it goes by pretty quick. <laughs> Deserves another rewatch. Maybe I watched the wrong thing. Uh, but anyway. Uh... So, back to the album itself. Um, Andrew, you're the go-to guy on this stuff. Where was this recorded? Where where was Nick in his life? And physically, where were they when this was actually going down? I'm the... I'm, thank you. I am the guy. I'm the guy on you're this... the man. On this stuff, I'm the guy. You're the guy. Um... This album was recorded in a couple places in London. Um, yeah, this is a very international band. They they record and tour, you know, all across Europe, Australia, America, you know, a bunch of places. And Nick being from Australia, I think, you know, he played there for a long time and wanted to kind of establish himself in London um, and later other places like Berlin. This album was produced by the band along with uh, Flood, who is a singularly named... A producer of many huge bands, Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, Smashing Pumpkins, U2. I mean, just to name a few. He he's very 
well regarded and and i i'm i'm a fan of of a lot of his production but i think the stuff he's done with nick cave he he worked on you know this album up through kind of the middle period in the 90s flood is a single man flood is a single man um dive damn he's flood he's got kind of an echoey atmospheric production that really i think especially with with someone like blixa who who plays very atmospherically and and with a voice like nick cave um i think it's a really good partnership mark ellis that's the man's name oh gotcha yeah i only wrote in flood uh mark ellis is his is foreshadowing real name (laughs) foreshadowing Foreshadow- Ellis foreshadowing. <laughs> Cave was genius hiring him just to foreshadow. You'd be replaced with a Warren, but you know, <laughs> you make it work. And so this is Nick Cave, but it's Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. You know, throughout you can't discount the the input of everyone else in the band because everyone here is such a major player. Who who all are we gonna see on this album? Right. So this this album is obviously Nick Cave, uh, his right hand man Mick Harvey. Um, at this point, is you know multi instrumentalist as as he was through the whole career, but he tended to to play guitar more on later stuff and work on arrangements. But at this point, I think he's he's mostly um, playing drums or whatever he can find, um, because they do have uh, Blixa Bargeld um, and Hugo Race on guitar. Blix is another guy like Harvey that would stay throughout most of the Bad Seeds career. Obviously, a career that's still ongoing, but um, they were two longtime members and main collaborators with Nick Cave. Again, Hugo Race, guitarist. Um, Barry Adamson, a great bassist. He ended up actually leaving after a, a handful of albums, but he came back, I think, to play drums with them during the Push the Sky Away tour. I think uh, we saw him on drums uh, the second time we saw them. There's Anita Lane, who Nick Cave was in a relationship with at the time, contributed some lyrics. And uh, J.G. Thurlwell, who is uncredited and left the group during the sessions, but has writing credits for a couple of the songs. Oh, interesting. And this being the first Bad Seeds album, I, I found this quote to be pretty indicative of, you know, the changes present within the his new band and uh sort of his his new outlook uh cave said well i guess we weren't kicking people in the teeth anymore i mean it just became different uh i wanted it to become more lyrically oriented and getting blixa bargeld from and i'm probably gonna butcher this einstürzende <laughs> neubauten uh getting getting blixa basically from his experimental uh german group um, made an incredible difference. He's a an atmospheric guitarist and uh, is incredibly economical, and it gave me room to breathe. That is what Cave said. So there is a a change here from the birthday party where he wants to be less of a just live shit show, you know, starting fights, you know, just being pure havoc, and and did want to become recognized as a lyricist and and make atmospheric music as opposed to just raw powerful catchy music um, which is more of a birthday party kind of style um and speaking of of changing to be more lyrically oriented uh sean why don't you tell us a bit about avalanche 
the first song on yeah, this album. Yeah, so from her to eternity. Where to begin on this? From her to eternity, the first album, the first song. First album, first song. The f- it's it's the beginning. It's the origin of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds coming off the birthday party, coming off of Tough Monks, coming off of you know this this life of aggression and in your face performances and a- attacking his audience. And he kind of winds it back, and he starts with a Leonard Cohen song off of one of the greatest albums of all time, Songs of Love and Hate. Naturally, the first song is is not his, of course. The first song that he ever produced, exactly, it's not his song. And yet, when you listen to it, and especially if you listen to it side by side, it he makes it his own, and he does this throughout his time. He will take themes he will take lyrics he will take song whole songs whole piece like this and he will he will mold them and create them into something that is purely his yes. and so personally when i listen to this song and i listen to it side by side with the leonard cohen version they're two distinct songs and that is is rare for me to see i think that um it was it was trent Reznor who who i believe said when he heard johnny cash cover hurt that it was like somebody, you know, it was like somebody taking a lover of his and, and cheating on him with it. But he was fine with it because it was it was just so good. It became its own thing. It became its own song. And so that's what I feel like with Avalanche is that when you listen to it, it's just, it's distinct and it's distinctly cave. And I think that one of the, one of the coolest things about this song is the first lyric of the first song of the first album <laughs> isn't his but it's I fell into an avalanche and it covered up my soul. Holy shit. Because Nick Cave's life from this point on, at least publicly, at least, you know, artistically, is so defined by the bad seeds that the stuff that be- came before it is really preface. And that's why we're even doing this podcast and not focusing too much on birthday party, all that. It's it's cool to listen to. It's great. It's, it's you know, I, I listen to it every once in a while. Yeah. But bad seeds are so... They're so sexy. <laughs> They're so hot. They're so sexy. And actually, Leonard Cohen on on Nick Cave's version of Avalanche, he he said that he butchered it. He said that he took this song and he absolutely butchered it. But he finished it off by saying <laughs> he wished that there were more butchers like that because he turned it into something that was so unique and so different that the song with with almost the same lyrics and I'll I'll talk a little bit about that in a sec, um, became something entirely its own. So um, as an intro song, I could not imagine a better jump into Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds than than this cover. Andrew, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's almost like he's summoning, like, to, to, to begin this new life as a lyricist, you know, more, you know, lyric-heavy, lyric-focused, sort of literary icon you know in music you know up there with the cohen and a bob dylan it's like he's this is his spell that he's casting <laughs> you know he's creating a cohen voodoo doll uh almost and he's like well this is what i want to be so this is what i'm going to cover but in traditional nick cave fashion you know he obviously he respects cohen and, and was hugely inspired by him but he's not going to cover something the same no, it's it's not it's not just gonna be a cover. It's gonna be like I love that the spell. It's it's like essence of Toad's song of Cohen. 
very much so. Sneaking into Cohen's apartment, getting a little bit of his hair, taking a little song of his, tweaking the lyrics a little bit. Oh, no, this is, um, that's that's a fantastic way to put it because he also, he takes this and he doesn't just make it his own. He doesn't, you know, cover it and just add some flair to it. Um, he changes the lyrics and I think he changes the lyrics in a way that are, are fairly fundamental um, based on interpretation. And so fundamental in that, you know, knowing how nitpicky he is about his own songs when, you know, later Cash covers Mercy Seat. Um <laughs> I don't think that any of this was an accident. I don't think any of this was done lightly when it comes to these little tweaks in the lyrics. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to get your input on this, Andrew, is, you know, there are a number of them and some of them, some of them tweaks feel like they are purely for, you know, the flow of the way that, that Gabe is singing it um, purely for, you know, the change in atmosphere. But uh, the one that sticks out to me the most is is at the beginning of avalanche he talks about you know this this hunchback sleeping beneath the golden hill and you strike my side by accident when you go down for your gold which is the cohen lyric you know the golden hill you're going down for gold in the golden hill you hit it cave takes this and turns it into goal it's no longer gold it's no longer very specific it's, it's just goal and that to me changes the whole thing what are your feelings on that uh, that's interesting. Uh, that's not something that I had caught just by listening um, to both versions. Um, I don't know that it does a lot um, other than, and this is significant, you know, I think it, it goal is just so much more ambiguous and I think works actually kind of better. Um, I, I, I think they both are sort of trying to accomplish the same thing. Uh, the The speaker is speaking to you your goal i think just is more of a universal thing i think i think what nick is doing is making it a little more ambiguous basically and allowing for a wider uh, variety of interpretations yeah it's it's not focused on riches it's not focused on you know this this idea of whatever gold means to somebody it's just whatever your whatever your purpose is maybe i put the cart before the horse here but um i really this song to me, speaks to the broad concept of obsession and what obsession does to a person and what it requires to truly be obsessed with something and the sacrifices you have to make when you decide, when you make that choice to become obsessed, what that means for you, what that means for your future, what it means for the world in general. Um, and I think that that broad theme bleeds out into the rest of this album and throughout, you know, it doesn't the rest of his albums don't get as grim they they focus on a lot of other things love and they they soften and they they go a bunch of different places but there's always this thread of obsession through everything he does which is another thing that just makes this such an amazing uh kickoff to such a such a storied career absolutely i mean you look you know not to jump forward too much but you look at songs like um you know something like watching alice like this voyeuristic obsession yeah um yeah obsessing on a person obsessing on a concept obsessing on misery obsessing on um what other people think of you obsessing on life after death obsessing just it's just this constant stream of endless obsession obsessing with just you know god i i'll stop now i i, I gush when i talk about avalanche as a as a kickoff um but I, I don't, again, think it could have been more perfect. 
when it comes to the narrator, this is, you know, it's a <laughs> it's a spooky song. The the person talking to the audience and talking to the subject, whoever is actually, you know, digging for this. Um, and another line in here that really gets to me when it comes to obsession is that your laws don't compel me. And that's another thing with obsession. And we'll, we'll see this later on, you know, the titular track, Heard of Eternity. Um, there's some call outs to this song in that song is there's just this desire to possess. There's this desire to have and this desire ultimately is a wound. And that that's great in this song because the narrator appears to be someone who's already done this. It's it's the precursor to whoever is trying to dig now beneath the hill. Whoever is down there has already been twisted, has already been deformed. The hump that they wear is their prize for, for being down here. And in that, they become immortalized. They're not hungry. They're not cold. They're not needing anything. And they're, they're you know pretty vile to the person coming down beneath the hill looking for whatever it was they found initially um whether that be you know the the you who wish to conquer pain i mean that could be the goal alone you know um yeah i I like that idea of of this person's already under the avalanche right um yep lying dormant you know obviously he 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 uh, went down to his goal, or or they went down to their goal, um, and it is this kind of. It's a little bit taunting. It's a little bit malicious. This is this is just someone, you know, uncovering basically their uh, immediate future on the way on the way down. And that that's what gets me. Is it even is it even meetable if the prize is? this horrible hump and just stasis beneath whatever avalanche you've chosen to cover yourself in. What is the goal there? And the, the narrator wakes up when their, their side is struck um, while this, while this next person is coming down and there's just such a resentment when it comes yes. to what they thought they've found, <laughs> what it thought they thought that they were offering, what they thought that they've discovered as they went down for this goal. You know, the crumbs of love you offer me or the crumbs I left behind. It's just this, it's this fuck you. Like you're trying to give me something. You found me down here. You don't know who I am. I'm you. I'm, I'm the future. If you keep pursuing this and fuck you for everything that you've found so far, because I already found it. Yep. (laughs) You're, you're a shadow. You're a shadow of what I am. It's your turn. Um, It's your turn. And and that's the transference. It's, it's the transference at the end that this, whatever you're finding at the end, this, you know, deformed entity that you found on your pursuit, they're not there to help you. They're not there to, you know, assist you, not be by your side or guide you. They're there to become you at the end. And whatever body they're wearing at that time is is not their body. They don't have a body. They're formless. And that's the creepiest part is at the end when, you know, it's your turn. It's your flesh that I wear. You're submitting yourself to this idea so far beyond actual humanity that you just become something entirely else. You become something twisted and deformed and yourself become buried under, again, your chosen avalanche and that. Um, yeah, your chosen yeah. avalanche. That's good. And, and, and fitting with the, with the uh, more ambiguous sort of text here in Nick Cave's version, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Andrew, what do you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, as someone who who tends to prefer um, 
the ambiguity and, uh, you know, non-referential nature of sort of that reading, um, I think it is important to kind of look at it in a, a religious uh, context, because I think there is some evidence of that in the text, you know, full disclosure, I'm not a religious person, I don't have any ill will towards religion, um, I'm just not very up on it, so forgive me if I if I overstep uh, any bounds, I just, we're, we're a couple respectful boys here on the podcast. You are forgiven, my son. That's probably strike one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fucked up. Um, no, but, uh, you know, I sleep beneath the golden hill. This is something that that I kind of caught. And so I, I've seen people discussing it and, and picking up on this online. Um, that seems to be a possible reference to the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. Um, you know, it's a, it's a holy place, the golden roof. To me, the, the most important thing about that line is that it, it possibly places the speaker as the as sort of the, the voice of God, the embodiment of, of God or a God. You know, you who wish to conquer pain, you must learn to serve me well. That, that, that feels like um, not, not the most malicious thing in this song, but it does feel like sort of a, an order from or a, a declarative statement from God. Well, and... A lot of Christianity is is the pursuit of of conquering pain, right? Afterlife, sure. Uh, you know the great deal of pain that Christ went through to solve the pain of the world or yeah. to absolve the pain of the world. Yeah, and 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 knowing you know obviously less Cohen than than Cave, but knowing Cave and Cohen's sort of uh, tendencies, you know they they do have a penchant for reference and definitely religious um, iconography and reference. Yeah, uh, just kind of. I, I won't hit every line here. I don't want to. Don't want to overdo it. But um, the speaker is on a pedestal. You didn't. Humanity didn't raise me here. Your laws don't compel me. Uh, to kneel grotesque and bare. Like I'm. I'm above this. These are your issues. I'm. I am the pedestal for the ugly hump. This. This is not for. For as much as as we talked about it being. You know someone going down through the avalanche and, and brushing up against someone, you know, on this journey for obsession. I think some of these lines could potentially be read as like the gods saying, you can't replace me. You can't, you need, you, you only have things to learn from me. You don't have anything that you can prove yeah. to me. Well, it's divine law, right? It's, there is nothing above that. Yep. Huh. Um, you who wish to to conquer pain, you must learn what makes me kind. the The only way to conquer pain is to to know, is to know my benevolence. Well, and it speaks to the arbitrariness of a lot of the Old Testament and all of that. It's you have to. There's there's a good deal of learning to do before you can understand why God won't fuck with you. That's a great point. Yeah, and the and the, the crumbs of love you offer me are the crumbs crumbs I've left behind. Your pain is no credential here. It's just a shadow of my wound. That's just, you know, the pain and love, the good and bad that you feel, those are just shadows of my versions of them. That could go for obsession as well. Like, look, I was so obsessed. I made a whole race of people, you know, or, or however you want to read that. But it could just be basically that statement of like, well, yeah, who are you? Who are you, kid? I, I created this stuff. Yeah. No, and that... 
it goes back to Christ on the cross is bearing the pain of the world. Yeah. Huh. What it, what it, what is your pain like? Oh, really? Oh, I just <laughs> I just did all of this for you. Oh, for real? Oh, that's cool. Oh, and the crumbs of love. Absolutely. You're trying to you're trying to give me love. Okay. I love those right little on. crumbs of love. I basically, you know, endless banquet of love raining down on you all the time but crumbs are great too <laughs> crumbs are fantastic oh I, I just made all of that i made yeah. love so it's like how water is supposedly dinosaur you guys hear about this you guys hear about this how <laughs> dinosaur spit <laughs> is our water or something the like that it's kind of like that these crumbs are from his plate capital h capital p for plate <laughs> um anyway would dinosaurs be as dickish if we came to them and offered them water i you know we i don't think there's been a jurassic park movie where we've tried that i mean i would start (laughs) by not doing the jurassic park at all well then we need a time machine (laughs) it's too late for that either you create them now or you go back in time you can't there's nothing else I have begun to ask for you, I who have no greed. Uh, I have begun to long for you, I who have no need. You say you've gone away from me, but I can feel you breathe. Now, that is an interesting sort of turn. Um, Spooky. Yeah. God has begun to ask for you, even though he has no greed. He has begun to long for you, even though he has no need. Like, that's just a very... Now we're kind of getting some of this warped god's obsession well he has it, no need he has no greed but there's something there's some compulsion and it's always been one of the things i've struggled with with religion is why does god care if you show up to church on sunday why does god care if you love him he's he's beyond time and space and he created everything what he has no needs so what is this obsession with making humanity bow down to you and at the same time, like, and then this last uh, stanza, that that kind of, it's funny that he, he has these sort of demands or like, he's beginning to ask for you, he's beginning to long for you. And at the same time, this last stanza, do not dress in those rags for me, I know you are not poor, and do not love me quite so fiercely now when you know that you are not sure. Then he's right back to doubting humanity. He's doubting the, and rightly so, the, the maybe the rich televangelists. You know, don't don't play the don't play this card. I know you're not poor. I know you have more than you need, probably. Um, and you maybe your inner dialogue says you're not so sure about your belief in me. Maybe in your darkest hour, you know, when you ask God for a favor, and maybe you, you're not even sure He's there. Maybe He's just like, well, miss me with that shit. <laughs> Basically, don't come at me. Fuck off. The central God. tenet of this album is you can miss me with all of that shit <laughs> it's a running theme very much so it's very important very very much um, so but yeah it, it just a just a cave delivers this with with such a sneer and with such vitriol you know there are elements of that in the original um and i like the original quite a bit but it's it's just you're right he's transformed it into its own thing which i think is is the most successful type of cover um obviously he 
appreciates the song or aspects of the song but him taking it and making it uh, and butchering it as cohen said and as you pointed out i think just makes for such a more interesting version of another song you can just go and listen to basically very very much so and it, it god i think you're onto something with this religious bent um it just gives a peek and the rest of the album echoes this is the the absence or the um uh, the virulence of of God's opinion of man—it's it's, it's yeah. abandonment, it's it's resentfulness, it's all of this horrible shit that we don't get in the picture of you know a God of love or you know a God who just wants humanity to be better. This is this is a horrible creature that has created pain who just you know demands fealty and love <laughs> um, in order to escape all of that nasty shit. The hump and the hunchback reference—you know, hunchback of Notre Dame—sort of this has control of this sort of religious icon you know the bell ringing the church bell yeah. specifically ringing but being sort of this historically uh in literature it's it's just a, a very evocative symbol uh, and not the last time we'll see it on this album yes um, <laughs> exactly oh that's that's an excellent connection yeah it's uh a bell whose toll is dead and hollow it's um <laughs> Holy crap. It, it also it, it brings to mind and this kind of a funny connection because it really plays a, a mirror to this idea of a God of love. Um, you know, the great enemy, Satan, is supposed to be this horrible guy. But uh, this I can't help. But at the end, when he asks, you know, don't love me so fiercely now, if you know that you are not sure, um, can't help but think of NIB from from Black Sabbath. Um, where, you know, Satan demands that this person love them, but if they're not sure, you know, that that's kind of fine, but you won't regret if you do. And in that song, Satan just sounds so chill. It sounds so like, (laughs) Hey, you're going to have a lot of fun. If you come with me, you know, you're not going to regret leaving the life you lived. Um, which is just a great foil. Yeah. The speaker of that song or the speaker of this song? I want to chill with the Satan of Black Sabbath well before i chill with the fucker <laughs> hiding behind the hill or under the hill in avalanche and um oh yeah it's just a shadow of my wound oh cool you brought me stuff i actually made that stuff and i left that behind so you can go actually fuck yourself you no, can put it's... those crumbs uh where the sun don't shine <laughs> that's it and then i'm gonna wear your fucking skin because that's <laughs> yeah. who i am whereas you know and i satan's like hey let's go Let's go fuck. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go have a chill time forever because I fucking love you. And uh, I don't know. I just I think that that's an excellent. I love that foil. I love that. Love that comparison. I think you really hit it with the with the religious iconography here. Um, yeah. For Avalanche. I, I, you you got to look at it. But at the same time, like I we're not the arbiters of the narrative police. We're here to, you know, look at all angles and stuff. And I think it's it's too narrow of a lens to look at it only through a religious context although i think that subtext is is certainly there this is one of the tougher songs i've looked at from nick cave in terms of really trying to find what that meaning is i I think it's very rich text and can be interpreted a lot of ways so i really liked hearing what you had to say and, and and adding on to it and hopefully uh listeners can feel free to write in and and uh Tell us what their opinion is, what they think, and um, you know, I, I I would say if we get enough good responses or whatever, we could we could spend some time reading them on the air. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
No, and I think that this specific reading does not conflict whatsoever with my initial reading of Obsession because, you know, the album, I think, is inarguably about obsession with various things. Absolutely. And, and so this obsession, you know, starting off as, as, you know, obsession of God with man is, fuck, that's even better. That's fantastic. Holy shit. Um, and I'm not even going to try and jump into what Cohen was going for. I think it's roughly the same thing. I think it probably is. I yeah. I, yeah. I, I, again, I don't know enough about religion or Cohen really to. Yep. You know, there's probably a better podcast for that. <laughs> Pods of love and hate. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon. Once I listen to all of his uh, all of his discography. It's good stuff, man. The partisan bangs. That that song is oh. <laughs> there's some bangers that that fast guitar picking that's yeah we uh i wanted to kind of get into this before the lyrics but i think this is a a good time as any let's get into um briefly the the music um of of this version of avalanche yeah right on and then we'll we'll move on to our uh, second song of the episode so so musically this track is it paints an avalanche for me i mean the obvious the obvious <laughs> analogy at the start is is all this shit rolling downhill and you know making this huge tumultuous noise this cacophony and then landing on the speaker into this you know eerie silence where they suddenly begin to speak to whoever the narrator is that to me is just again i cannot think of a better song to start because cave always uses the music itself as a storytelling tool and so this this to me just you know it's when you think about it when i say it it sounds ham-fisted you know it's like an avalanche but he does it so i mean it's done so well he doesn't no, the, do it. it is done yeah, so well on this song that it just it blows me away every time I, I kick up this album yeah i mean there there's literal like those drum kind of that slow build uh you know the music comes into focus real slow but the 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 rumbling drum kind of things that build up and then stop like that that yeah it's it's the it's the musical manifestation of an avalanche it really is um it's funny to funny to point that out but uh that's i'm pretty sure was the intention yeah there there's there's structure um but it's more lyrical structure the music is pretty loose um like a lot of songs in the early days for nick cave it feels like it could all kind of fall apart at any moment um and yeah it's that atmosphere over the complexity percussive kind of flittering of flicks guitar i think it's flicks uh um his guitar strings creak they make their own weird noise you know i'm I'm just kind of assuming it's flicks because it's kind of his jam but um a lot of atmosphere to it and not the most melodic uh, of the songs it's not and the lack of melody i mean is in the way Gabe ends up singing a lot of these lines, it's this it's this shriek. It's this, you know, wavering, breaking, just primal <laughs> scream for a lot of these when he's when he's speaking. And um I I just am blown away every time by how the guitars and how the music itself matches that. Um, not only here but throughout the album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this this uh is a great example of how you know, early in the Bad Seeds career that they had figured out how to mesh lyric and music. Uh, the partnership between Nick Cave, uh, Mick Harvey, the instrumentalist, um, 
I think probably plays the the avalanche drums uh, and then Blix's atmospheric uh, additions really transform the music into an echo of the lyrics. All right. Well, we are going to take a break here real quick. Give some time for whatever it is you need to do. Stand up, stretch, stay hydrated, all that good stuff. And when we come back, we will be talking the next song on From Her to Eternity, Cabin Fever. And we're back. Uh, hope you guys had a, a opportunity to kind of get up, take a whiz, stretch, think about uh, think about Avalanche, think about your relationship with God. Always important. We're going to get right into uh, the second song on the album, uh, Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever! <laughs> yeah. uh, God, there's so many singable... <laughs> moment i just oh this this song is fun as hell um it is oh god so many moans and screams and disgusting retching noises truly foul very truly foul shit in this song this is probably the most foul nick cave song uh maybe deanna's kind of up there but um this one's this one's gruesome that one's at least packaged a little cleaner yeah it's got kind of more of that groovy uh music that doesn't make it sound as horrible as it is um this this pulls no punches yes exactly um (laughs) lyrics by the man cave as usual uh music by uh is credited to uh nick and blixa the guitarist yeah this song is is so different especially musically from from anything he's done but you know with 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 our interpretation of of avalanche and and obsession it really is a good follow-up and a good foil to avalanche wouldn't you say yeah no i i definitely say that because it it focuses on the foulest of obsessions (laughs) it focuses on the obsession of of someone who is ultimately alone who is you know sailing by himself on the ocean and the ocean even with people has been you know described in uh song and story throughout time as just being lonely if you're if you're in the middle of a body of water there's nothing around you there's nothing there and uh this is someone who is who is isolated who is below deck who is also by themselves on this on this body of water what a what a song too for for 2020 am i right quarantine Getting a, little, getting a little cabin fever um this this song is probably the most reminiscent uh musically and and, and to an extent somewhat lyrically of uh the birthday party um mm. it's kind of a very loose sort of post-punk um feels yeah definitely like an oddity um musically especially amongst uh the bad seeds work um you know, it's it's very, I would say, in a way, unsophisticated subject matter lyrically. Um, but the music's oh. kind of complex, uh, certainly more so than um, Avalanche, or at least their version. Um, yeah. It's three measures of, of I think, three, four, um, and then uh, four measures um, alternating. So it'll be you know three times through with this kind of like 
it's an aggressive tempo, but it's kind of in like a waltz time almost. And then uh, it it does have that um, uh, breakdown towards the end that we're, we're going to talk about uh, when we talk about the lyrics, I think. And for as waltzy as it is, I think that that adds a level of irony that this is about loneliness, that this is about someone effectively waltzing with themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Forever. It's, it's just visions of this this pirate or whoever going mad out on the sea with his uh with his beloved uh unconscious Ooh. uh with or without someone you know to to waltz with yeah in addition about the music uh i, I can't tell if it's blix's guitar it could be like a sheet of metal who knows but there's this weird like sound effect that's percussive um that sounds kind of like a cleaver or like some like blade being sharpened i guess yeah metal on uh, metal it's yeah it's metal grindy. on metal scent and it kind of has this like heave ho cadence like this chum, 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 that's really uh it, it's almost like singing along with nick and i really like that and if that is guitar you know i don't know how he's doing it but it, it it's sort of a playing guitar without playing guitar effect which blix was very fond of but it, it honestly it's a sound that i have trouble identifying but I really yeah. love the atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely thick with atmosphere on this one. It's, um, again, a hallmark of the album. The yeah. music itself here, like you said, the lyrics aren't aren't too complex. The music itself, though, drives us along to uh, a place of uniqueness in, in the Lexicon of Cave. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to, to lyrics. Where are we in this song? What, where, let's set the stage. Who is the captain? Yeah, so the captain here, you know, he's a pirate. And that's what I love about this song. And, and one of the key elements of Nick's storytelling is that he just creates these characters right out the gate with so little preamble, but you immediately become attached to them. And so without even a name, without any sort of backstory, anything, the captain's forearm bunched up, like bunched up rope is the first line here. And immediately the captain screams onto the scene with these guttural sounds with these you know it almost sounds like cave is trying to throw up and then gets confused about it and just starts screaming you know the <laughs> yeah. captain's a dude who just he's not all there he's he's kind of fucked and uh we get the briefest of physical descriptions you know he's got uh he's got some tattoos and these tattoos are etched in his skin which um begins to belie the the madness to come and you immediately jump to Cabin Fever. And so what that tells me just right out the gate, and I remember the first time I listened to this song, this dude's fucking gone. And the music tells you that. The lyrics are telling you that. And from there, the captain is just someone we're watching unravel entirely. Yeah, we're the voyeurs this time on his uh, his great expedition to who knows where. Taking a, a, a grim turn amongst his crew or... Um, you know, he's he's all, a captain and he's all alone. You know, there's no crew. So something has happened. But it's 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 doesn't and matter. That, I love it really to the song. Oh it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's that's what we've come to learn is you know, the captain captains have crews, they're managers, managers have employees, you're not a manager if you don't you know manage anybody. And there is no mention of a crew in this song. <laughs> there's no mention of what happened. Um which to me gives it a very claustrophobic feeling too. This is just front to back a descent into madness. And in that, I fucking adore this song. 
the captain's forearm like bunched up rope with Anita wriggling free on a skull and dagger and a portrait of Christ nailed to an anchor etched into his upper. First off, Anita, <laughs> band member, partner of Nick Cave at the time. So that's his own. You, using a feminine name to imply that the captain had a love. I, I also want to yeah. interject here. Wriggling free on a skull and dagger. When that pops into my head, Anita is a snake. And I play into the religious iconography. It's just, it's it's not, again, super deep. But it's there, and the way he paints that with only the the wriggling and the the rest of the context, um, I love it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then moving on, slams his his tin dish down. Our captain takes time to crush some blue bottles glowing in his gruel. So he's eating foul food. He's eating food that's that's gone off. It's gone wrong. Ugh, full of flies. Oh, larva. God. Just just disgusting. Now. This kind of goes through the whole song, but I think in this stanza, it's it's high time to talk about it. Um, the captain's jerking it. <laughs> he just is. Like, there's no way around it. He's He is... His loneliness uh, has manifested in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he's etched tattoos. He's, you know, tallying up his loneliness notch by notch. He He's... His loneliness has become mania. It's become expression different ways and the masturbatory uh references in this song are are quite a few i'm just going to kind of run through them now yeah the wriggling free on a skull and dagger the, the <laughs> image of the snake that's that's kind of you know in line with it and the religious iconography um his forearm like bunched up rope his arm now like coiled snakes uh you know maybe he's just been doing it for a long time out here on the sea his arm his arm is is tired like bunched up rope or it's wound you know hard like coiled snakes ready to to spring again um down to after talking about the the gruel with a lump in his throat and lumpy mush this image of lumpiness especially right before the next line thumbing a a scrapbook stuck stuck up with clag uh which i think is just like blue pasty viscos high viscosity stuff yeah for for those unfamiliar with the term uh to bedaub usually with a sticky substance yes per merriam webster so his scrapbook his memories his his uh this physical manifestation of his past and his lust and what he misses uh is in gross straits <laughs> to put it lightly covered with something covered with something the nick cave cover album that we'll eventually um a morbid lump of love in his flags he's it's getting everywhere it's getting you got your pirate you got flags lying around yeah gotta do something (laughs) done is the missing now all that remains is to sail forever upon the stain post masturbatory you know you don't miss or lust as much now all he's got to do is sail forever upon uh, the the sea, which I guess to him is a giant stain, you know, echoing the state of his scrapbook and his flags, I guess. Um, obviously, it's not a pretty picture, but this is this is in the text. We got to talk about it. I guess finally, I would say 
the captain's free hand is a cleaver leading into the next thing implies that that's his free hand. It's a cleaver. And uh, his other hand is not especially free. <laughs> and see, I missed this. I missed this entirely the first time through. And now that I see it, I can't unsee it. He's rationing his jerky. The word jerky. Come yeah, exactly. On. Please, 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 please. But he carves see, his peg out of the God. finest mahogany, or was it That's, ebony? The sea offers ebony. nothing to hold or touch. He's got to tally up that loneliness notch by notch, winner by winner. And oh, winner by God. winner, you know, it's time is just flying by. That gruel's getting less and less palatable, but he's getting less and less sane. And uh, uh, his his leg in quotes is whittled right down to a splinter. Oh, oh, you know he's got a peg leg, but that that could obviously mean something else. Yeah, no, his uh, oh, been there. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> um, it's around that time that the music, uh, like you were talking about, kind of drops out uh, yes. before it gets to the notch by notch. Oh my god, so I love this part, and this this really goes well with this interpretation, is that, you know, he's going through, he's going through the, sprack, uh, the, the scrapbook, he's done missing now, he's sailing, um, he tallies up his loneliness, and um, this is perhaps the most relatable part of the song. I don't know, I've, I've been in moments of deep distress or depression or loneliness, and the music here stops and gets very quiet. We've had a lot of grinding. We have that metal on metal. We've had the pounding and just the driving waltz. And all of a sudden, all that drops away. And all that's left is this kind of like, it, the grinding is still there, but it's like this really soft kind of tapping that just kind of taps out um, a pace when he's saying, you know, notch by notch, winner by winner. And it's just tallying up in his mind what has happened so far and how long he's been there. And and to me, this feels like he's stepping above deck and he's looking out over the ocean. He's realizing how alone he is and trying in this moment of clarity to really tally up what has come before. And the music yeah. reflects that so perfectly. It's, it's this reprieve <laughs> from what is a very claustrophobic and aggressive song. Um, yes. And... The moment that this breaks, you know, in these moments, sometimes I've found myself, you know, it's a, it's a moment of clarity and perhaps you kind of lift out of it and you go back to sadness. But this is just, you know, he's so far gone. His moment of clarity ends with this deep spiral right back below deck to cabin <laughs> fever and to this idea that there is no escape from whatever it is he's been caught in. And, uh, oh, my God, dude, it goes right back into... Uh, a meeting with his beloved unconscious. <laughs> so this is, you know, you could take this as, in, in a few ways, you know, maybe she's not there. Maybe it's, uh, I, I kind of, because of the rest of the context, kind of believe it's her dead body. Um, yeah. Uh, but he is experiencing her in, in some context, raising her host of hair from her crooks and struggling to summon one of her looks he he's he's got an image of her or or a, a you know in the flesh version of of her as well uh that he he's just really trying to get some of that humanity back it's not really a, it's not a, a purely physical lust or loneliness to me this is pretty disgusting 
a couple of lines fitting with the rest of the song, but does kind of offer, I think, a little bit more humanity. It it does. In the most messed up way possible. Don't get me say, wrong. Once I saw this is the foulest shit in the world. This is a dude <laughs> sitting at the dinner table trying to jack it to what is likely the corpse of whoever is left down there attempting as hard as he can with this broken mind to like picture her as she was in some way and can't and so this goes back to his arm is now coiled snakes and he's whipping all the bottles around him that he's drunk and he's just going fast and fucking hard (laughs) and it's just that is the most disgusting thing i think i've found in any nick cave song at all throughout it is it is but i do think it's it's certainly uh, whether or not it humanizes him in a good or bad way because obviously it's it's a real fucked up situation but i think it does have a bit more humanity than some of the other references earlier in the song um last couple lines you know of a ship they've been sailing five years sunken uh i i think those are pretty much the only lines that i i think are a little too much um for me too much yeah they're disgusting no, just kidding. Um, no, they, it, it. I. I don't like. It, it kind of takes some of the ambiguity away from me. Like we should know at this point they're on a ship. Yep. Uh, and they had been sailing. Um, five years. Sun- like that. That just places it t- a little too much for me. Um. Fair, yeah. But it doesn't ruin. Doesn't ruin the song. Just. Just a personal kind of. Kind of preference there interesting and i i take it in the opposite direction when i when i realized how this song ends because with a lot of these tracks there's there's a lot of lyrics there's a lot going on lyrically um and the way he delivers the lines are often you know very guttural very very quick very very all over the place the the volume changes a lot and so you miss a lot of the minutia and so not necessarily with this line, but when I realized this is, you know, five years, this guy thinks he's still sailing, but it's very clear <laughs> that this is a ghost ship at this point. Yes. Um, and and that to me, I don't know, just taking this as a as a you know insane pirate trying to recapture some kind of humanity, it it it's really cool <laughs> to me that he is trapped in this bizarre personal hell where he doesn't get to die and he just has to sail forever and it places it places some rationale behind you know the the mythos of ghost ships why they're so fucking angry why they come and you know yeah. assault living ships that because, stuff is really cool I, yeah. I i like it i like imagining him as this like skeletal like flying dutchman uh sort of weird you know character but i i i think it 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 does sort of derail some of the 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 visions in my head at least fair enough it it pigeonholes it 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 puts it in like you said a a closed context of this is you know a ghost ship pirate ship and it explores what would happen if you just existed forever with the memories of your past (laughs) life um which is probably my worst fear yeah no madness beyond death just this entire loneliness this complete departure back to religion this complete um absence of god it's it's this unending limbo that kind of reflects what you did in life but um is you know 
completely alone and apart from anything that gave you any joy in that time. Um, but it, it does, like you said, define it in a way that leaves very little ambiguity as to what the song is actually about. And I think, you know, these, these first two songs are so successful, but even so, I think he just gets kind of better and better at this. No. Um, especially, you know, for a certain run of albums, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, this this song more than almost any other on this album specifically, I I really have a defined picture in my head of the scene, the setting, the character slash characters. I guess um, this this is one of the most visually striking slash get these images out of my head, please uh, <laughs> songs in his entire discography. Honestly, yeah. Uh, absolutely um i will also say i love the echoing voice effect to communicate madness that mm. you know nick is is the voice of this this pirate just echoing you get you get so many layered tracks of noises and words and talking to himself and all of these things throughout um and this effect is used later on in songs that i'm not too big of a fan <laughs> of um, this is probably the place I like it best when when Nick, you know, layers his own voice over his own voice because it it communicates that insanity, that that cacophony inside the head of the pirate. Yes, that is a great point. And I'm now that I'm thinking about this, and I, uh, it doesn't really matter whether whether this is the case or not. It could just be him talking to himself as a narrator. But when he says, you know, and he carves his peg out of the finest mahogany, or was it ebony? A really wretched little background voice says it was ebony <laughs> yeah. and uh could that be the captain talking to the narrator like he's putting out a different voice that's kind of an interesting yeah idea i don't know that it's that that deep but well no, yeah that, that it, echoing voice is is used to great effect the the echoes they're all different voices it's all these yeah. horrible like <laughs> like just shrieking every time he has a coherent thought it's just something screaming at him that you know even if it is just in like that informational like what did i carve this out of it's this horrible voice screaming it was ebony <laughs> i love that i, I adore I also, that yeah that's it's so good and i love um sort of the weird joyousness of oh the rolling sea keeps rolling on when <laughs> he's got that kind of higher voice like it keeps rolling on like it's just so silly <laughs> but it's just unhinged and i just he's doing the fucking work in this song so many voices he is just everywhere in this song and i i it's not one of my favorite songs on the album or in his uh career but man it's just it's so fun yeah absolutely he's yeah he is he's everywhere He's everywhere he's, now that he's gone. But he, I don't know. <laughs> he's having fun. He's having fun talking about pirates uh, and avalanches. That's it. God. Sean. Andrew. Thank you for discussing these two songs with me and our listeners on today's Lesson in the K podcast. Uh, so where can they find us? Well, you know, there are a number of places they can find us um, outside of the pod itself. You can find us at Twitter um, or on Twitter, rather, at Today's Lesson Pod. 
uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash today's lesson. Uh, you can reach out to us on email, today's lesson pod at gmail.com. And we do ask wherever you're listening to this podcast, please rate and review. Um, as we said last time, if you're not going to give us five stars, you can go fuck yourself. But uh, we do want. Get, basically, you can get bent. Yeah, you can you can get bent. You can go. I don't fucking care where you go. Five stars, rate and review, uh, would be very much appreciated. And I know that we said at the start, you know, if if you have any corrections, please reach out to us kindly. I don't care if you get in our face. I want you to come at us with everything you have on Twitter, email, Patreon, wherever you want to do it. Um, let us know yeah, what you, you just, think. You just changed my mind. I'm re- yeah. come at us. Dude, please, fucking please, make my day. We'll we'll take what you say. We will, we'll use it. Whatever you say, we'll use it, and uh, we'll become Be stronger. With us. That's it. Stronger with every blow. Treat me like, treat me like your ship's flag. <laughs> Stick us up with your clag. Get on. <laughs> uh, what should they be listening to for the next episode, Sean? All right. So the next episode, I'm very excited for this one. You're going to get the titular track from Her to Eternity, and you're going to get another fantastic, very bluesy expedition um, into the desert with Well of Misery. So again, if you're like me, listen to the whole thing a hundred fucking times, the whole whole From Her to Eternity album. But otherwise, Well of Misery and From Her to Eternity is what we'll be discussing next um, on today's lesson. Uh, Until next time. Uh, keep that hair out of your crooks. <laughs> Raise the hair out of your crooks and clean the clag out of your scrapbooks. Uh, yeah. Uh. Till next time, we love Nick Cave <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye. 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that his cover of In Sync's Bye Bye Bye? That'll be easy. No, <laughs> fucking wings off flies. <laughs> I know, but it sounded. Bye, it sounded bye, more bye. like upbeat. Bye, <laughs> it bye, sounded bye. like. See you in a pig's eye. <laughs> yeah. Bye. <laughs> and until next time, keep on sailing upon that stain. Bye. Bye.